0: This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell.
1: And for the 50th time, I'm Hayley Alice Roberts.
0: 50 of these? How have we managed to do 50 episodes of this? I'm stunned.
1: (laughs) Perseverance, lockdowns, hard work. No, it's been fun. So episode 50 and it's new year as well, which is so exciting.
0: It's the last episode of 2021 but we're going out with a bit of a bang because we're going to cover a new year themed horror movie. It is Emma Alston's 1980 classic in inverted commas, New Year's Evil. As we said, Prior to that Sting of Music, final episode of the year, New Year-themed horror movie, Emma Alston movie, we'll get onto his filmography in due course. But this is an early outing for uh, Golden Globus-era canon films, and it's the 1980 slasher New Year's Evil.
1: So one of my favourite tropes on the website, TV tropes about this film, is... Horror doesn't settle for a simple Tuesday. And basically that means in the late 70s and early 80s, following the success of Halloween, horror movies had to be set on a particular holiday. So there was obviously a few Christmas ones and Valentines, everything under the hat, basically. Um, But this one, we are going to be focusing on New Year's Eve. So what is New Year's Eve all about, I hear you ask? It's a slasher movie. There's not a lot really to say about it. So I'm just going to get on with the synopsis from IMDb. And this is by Wallace Entertainment. So we don't even have Nick Reganis to finish us off this year.
0: You see, it's a, it's a weird one then. Because when Nick Reganis isn't doing plot synopsis for, for a movie, then you think, what's the quality of the movie going to be like? Well, we'll get into that on the other side of the synopsis.
1: New Year's Eve is on its way, and TV's most famous punk rock lady icon Diane Sullivan is holding a late hour countdown celebration of music and partying. All is going well until Diane receives a phone call from an odd-sounding stranger announcing on live television that when New Year's strikes in each time zone, a naughty girl will be murdered, in brackets punished, and the killer leaves a threat saying she will be the one to die last. The studio crew take precautions and heighten security. But on the other side of America, a hospital nurse is found brutally butchered. Who could be behind these murders? A crazed fan? A religious psychotic? Or perhaps it's someone much closer to Diane than the police or audience could have ever expected?
0: That synopsis is about 10 times more exciting than the actual movie. I mean, I'm not going to be too down on New Year's Evil because it's very silly and I actually quite enjoyed it, even though it's really creaky and some of the plot twists really stretch credibility, even for a slasher movie. But you know what? It's had a bit of a kick in New Year's Evil. There's not many defenders for it. Now, I'm not going to go to bat for it completely, but there's far worse slasher movies out there, I think. It is daft. It's not very gory. It's not very scary. But there's something about it. It does some quite interesting things, New Year's Evil.
1: I agree. I didn't dislike this film at all. It was a first viewing for me, so um, it's another one to tick off the slasher movie list. I enjoyed it for what it was. It's pretty much goreless. It was, again, I suppose like the first Halloween movie. It didn't really showcase a lot of bloodshed. Um, that's fine. I think it's New Year's Evil would be the type of movie that maybe somebody just getting into horror could actually watch because it's not too bloodthirsty. So it's got a bit of a safety net there. It's very campy. It's very much of its era, of its time. um, And especially with the kind of motivations of the killer, he is an all out misogynist, which we will get into in a bit. So the tagline is super cheesy. This will just kind of give you the tone of what this film is. Don't dare make New Year's resolutions unless you plan to live.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's got some fairly interesting plot devices. It's got the distorted voice because he calls into the music show, a la Scream. I mean, he isn't questioning people on their knowledge of horror movies, but the killer is disguising his voice when he's calling in. The interesting thing about the killer in this movie is that you see who it is straight off the bat. At the start, you kind of see the bottom half of him and you think, oh, right, it's just going to be that they're going to... you're going to see bits of him, but you're not going to find out who he is until the very end of the movie. And then it pans up and he's there. And for quite a lot of the movie, you're following him around. So it's as much a movie about him trying to get victims and him coming across various obstacles that thwart his plans at some point. So it's not about an indestructible killer. They do actually throw in a bad guy who's got a bit more about him. Some of the stuff he does to get into places to kill people is ridiculous, to be perfectly honest. But it's nice to see a killer that isn't just this faceless maniac. He does over-egg things a bit. I mean, Kip Niven's really good in it. He was in uh, Magnum Force, I think, at one point. He's playing it for all his worth. He's hamming it up. Something chronic. But it's fun. I mean, you you don't want something that's underplaying this. He is a proper bad guy in this, and he wants you to know it.
1: Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting, as you say, because the expectation with slasher movies is you're going to get somebody in a creepy mask, like, skulking around. And... We meet this guy, but I think we don't really know his motivations and how he's connected to Diane. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Like, why has he specifically chosen her? Why is he targeting her? It does actually work, even though some people might feel a bit disappointed that you know who the killer is straight away. At first, I was a bit, but then as it progressed, I was like, oh, actually, no, this is quite interesting. And then I think the payoff is actually worth it. So I don't know if we are going to get too much into spoilers, but um, yeah, and he does have a creepy mask at one stage in the movie as well, and that's well over an hour in. He's killed at least four or five people at this point, so.
0: I like the fact that it kind of goes off on its own tangent here, because the final girl, they don't really concentrate on her all that much. They keep coming back to her, but there's quite a large chunk of this movie that's just following the killer around, and he's identifying people to bump off. And some of it's very campy, and some of it's quite ridiculous, because at one point he's escaping a gang of bikers who he's run across. They just throw all sorts of plot points into the mix. But there is a point at which I thought it was genuinely creepy. He kidnaps a teenage girl from the drive-in. And there's about a five-minute sequence where I was genuinely... Unnerved by what he was doing to her in the car. I mean he's just threatening her basically, but there's this whole thing about you don't think she's gonna get out. That's actually quite a good stretch of the movie in a film that's quite daft for 95 percent of its running time, it actually does something a lot more sinister for that five or so minutes. I mean, it does go back to the silly stuff after that, but at least it's trying something this. it doesn't always work. But at least it's giving something a little bit different to slasher fans. The fact that it isn't really a body count movie. People do die, but it's not a massive body count. I don't mind that. I think it's more interesting the way it's set up. I'm not sure about the music show. This is supposed to be kind of a punk and a new wave show. And it's presented by somebody who's in her 40s and doesn't seem particularly punk or new wave. And the bands they've got on, one seems to be kind of a, well, I wouldn't say heavy rock, but they're certainly a rock group. And then there's another combo, which I think are called Made in Japan, which seem to be Power Pop. This whole program, yeah, I understand what the conceit is of it, but as a music show, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So it's a good job you don't see too much of it. There's a couple of musical numbers, but they generally get cut off after kind of a minute, a minute and a half. There is a soundtrack album to this, apparently. I did stick around on the end credits, and you can get the soundtrack to New Year's Evil, or at the very least you could when it was out. So you got all of Shadow and Made in Japan's hits from the movie. I'm not sure I'd have been queuing up to buy that LP. <laughs> no,
1: same here. I thought the music kind of all sounded the same. But yeah, the, the whole um focus on the like New Year's Eve party, I think... It's very repetitive. I think there's time spent on that could that could have even spent elsewhere. Yeah, it's very much like nobody's in a panic because I assume with the TV show host I am, she is taking these phone calls as this party's going on. So I'm assuming the people either watching on TV or the people attending the party don't know about these threatening phone calls because they don't really seem to react.
0: Now, at one point, the police turn up and then they address the audience to say that, there might be a killer in the building. The audience don't seem particularly perturbed by that at all. In fact, they want the police to show up so they can listen to more music. This movie is full of plot twists like that where nobody seems particularly bothered that people are dying. The police don't seem particularly interested that people are dying until about the last act. There's so much about this which is creaky and yet it does kind of get away with it because it is quite a fun movie to watch. There is a little bit of this sort of Penelope Pit Stop trap at the end, because somebody gets in danger, and rather than the killer just bumping this person off, they set up this elaborate scheme involving an elevator, and this takes ages to pan out. And it's kind of like, oh, are they going to get crushed? What's going to happen here? It's very stupid, but again, there's something agreeably bonkers about this movie. I don't think it's going to end up on anybody's top 10 slasher movies list, including mine, but it's all right, actually. I I had a lot of fun with this. The drive-in is playing a movie called Blood Feast, but it's not the H.G. Lewis Blood Feast. When you watch the trailer, it's clearly not that version of Blood Feast. Now, did some digging into this because I thought this looks like an Italian movie and this looks like a Jello movie as well. And I thought I recognised it from the little clips that you saw. And I thought I'd seen it as well. But it was one of the less notorious Jell-Os, I'm pretty sure. And it is. It's uh, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. That's what the Jello movie is. And it's the uh, Im- Emiliano Miralia movie. And I have seen it, but I've only seen it once. So I thought I'd seen it on screen and I was right. But when you see Blood Feast on the sort of driving screen, you think, oh, it's the H.G. Lewis movie. It, it, it isn't. But this Jello movie was retitled Blood Feast for the US. So any confusion between that and the H.G. Lewis movie is because of that.
1: You learn something new every day.
0: Complete tangent. <laughs> nothing to do with New Year's <laughs> Eve, apart from what's playing on the driving screen. But it's stuff like that that i find interesting because usually when you see a screen playing something on a horror movie it's something that's public domain so it's like it's well it's pretty much always night of the living dead because there's no copyright on that movie so whenever you see somebody watching a movie within a movie it's pretty much going to be night of the living dead whereas with this one totally different movie not even an american movie it's an italian one which is even more interesting
1: yeah, I wonder why they chose that in particular. Um, again, I've seen Red Queen Kill seven times once as well. So it's been a while. And um, it's out on our own video, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite accessible film to get. So yeah, very interesting choice. And I wonder what made them want to play that. Obviously, they wanted to have like some sort of threatening horror movie, playing, mirroring the events, what's going on in the film. But yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. We're going to get on to critics now. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, New Year's Evil isn't very um, well thought of in um, my research of this film. So first of all, I'm going to go to a book called Teenage Wasteland by J.A. Kerswell, And in the book, they said that this film essentially mix the new wave music with the slasher concept just how prom night had previously done it with the disco scene so it was um trying to compete obviously with other movies of the same ilk but he described it as dull and goreless with a depressing streak of misogyny running through it now we'll get onto that here before we move on to other critics because it's very very outdated Mm. with the killer's motivation it is not 21st century attitudes portrayed at all. It's, it's very of its time. And it's not aged well at all. But you kind of forgive it because of knowing the time it came out in.
0: Yeah, when I say I had fun with this movie, this was the bit of the movie I did not have fun with. When it's revealed to as to the motives of why the killer has gone on this spree. It's a bit unpleasant. And basically it's just some whiny man baby. That's what the motive is. The killer's the kind of bloke that would just mansplain everything to people these days. So when you find out why he's been driven over the edge, you think, well, you're just an arsehole, mate. It kind of takes the edge off it a little bit, come the climax of the movie. Which is a bit of a shame, but as you say, it's of its time. I think you can forgive it to a certain degree. But after all the fun you've had for the rest of the movie it does seem to leave a bit of a nasty taste in the mouth. right at the end. They could have thought of any other motive than the one that they landed on, is that this guy is just a little bit disillusioned with his relationship and he wants to be taken more notice of. Big fucking deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of a weak motive. And on the most part, he does target blonde women as well. Like, all his victims are... that are chosen by him that he's methodically banned out they're all women he kills one guy or at least injures him i I think this character might get killed off he basically gets to a bit of a ruckus with a bunch of bikers and in self-defense he stabs this one biker so and this is in this moment he's dressed as a priest as well so yeah he has different disguises throughout one minute he's like a nurse, then he's a priest, then he's like a movie producer or something or other, so, or agent. So, yeah, he kind of goes through these different disguises to uh, charm his way. And then when he's the agent guy, he puts on a fake moustache, which is quite funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, at the time, Gene Siskel gave it zero stars and described it as a hideously ugly motion picture. <laughs> <Just I've>, strong. <laughs> I'd
0: seen the Siskel review and... Yeah, I can see where he's coming from, but I think that's slightly mean.
1: <laughs> and then Eric Vespy of Ain't It Cool News just said, it falls into the category of didn't love it, didn't hate it, gray area of mediocrity, and described it as too amateurish, not suspenseful enough or creepy. Yeah, I understand what he's getting at there. It is very much like, yeah, it was all right. It's not like, oh, this is the greatest slasher movie all time. It's not like a scream or anything like that that completely transform the genre it's nothing like that but it, it's one that you could miss if you wanted to it's not the end of the world if you don't see this movie but if you do watch it yeah it's actually okay yeah. and then on dread central we have matt safarini who says it's ideal if you're after a late night horror fix and then what it lacks in scares it makes up for impure entertainment and i think that's absolutely correct there it's got that feeling of something that you put on horror channel really late at night or that you'd see maybe at a horror festival in the midnight movie slot. I think it's got that type of tone to it, so I completely agree with his uh, review of it there.
0: Yeah, it's the kind of movie that if you rolled in from the pub and it was on late night, then you'd probably quite enjoy it after a few bits. About the disguises as well, there's one disguise that I I need to talk about. It's where he pretends to be the policeman. At some point, he gains entry to the building by attacking a policeman. He makes a noise and the policeman comes around and he knocks him out and then steals his uniform. Now, that's all fine. However, the size of the policeman that he knocks out is not exactly the same as the size of the killer. So you've got this fairly chunky, portly policeman who comes over to see what's going on, knocks him out. So this guy has to put on a police uniform that's clearly about two or three sizes too big for him. Fits perfectly absolutely perfectly. And I'm like thinking, yeah, I understand why they had to fit him into a police uniform that actually wasn't sort of baggy, because the minute he'd have gone in, they'd have gone, well, hang on a minute, you know, that's clearly not your uniform. I can't really say that it takes you out of the movie, because the, the whole movie is not exactly a forensically detailed study of a serial killer, because it isn't. But there are sort of things like that where you think, well, I'm going with this movie, but this is stretching credibility even for this. If you look at it as a whole, me complaining about a a police uniform that's two sizes too big is probably small potatoes compared to the other stuff that's going on in this movie. The fact that these bikers are chasing him for about 15 minutes and he seems to gain access to places with just... A reasonable amount of charm and pretending to be other people. As you say, the, the bit where he pretends to be the agent is hilarious because the moustache is a particularly fine specimen. It's just a crazy sequence. And one of the women that he picks up in that sequence is played by an actress called Louisa Moritz, who was in Death Race 2000 as one of the competitors in that. She doesn't make it to the end of Death Race 2000 and uh, she doesn't make it to the end of this one either, unfortunately.
1: So other than the killer, there is another weird character in this film and this character we meet quite early on as he comes into his mother's dressing room. Now I have to confess, I, at first, when he walked in, thought, is that like her lover (laughs) or is it? Her brother, I was, and then later on it's mentioned that's her son. So um, basically Diane's got this son and he comes just to like kind of doss around in her um, dressing room while the show's going on. And he's such a weird guy. There's one bit where he just grabs one of his mother's tights and puts it over his head and starts kind of doing a monologue to himself in the mirror. He's very, very strange. And he's not like in it a lot, but when he pops up, it's just a very, very weird vibe. And it will all kind of make sense as the film comes in. But there's all this theme in it of having mummy issues and like a mother fixation as well. There's, there's that to it. And that's like all revealed then later on with the motive of the killer. So I think we are going to get into spoiler territory because yeah. this movie is out there. So if you don't want to hear this bit, run us on a little bit. I thought this was actually quite a good reveal. So Diane is sat there in her room And then the killer walks in wearing this creepy mask and it's then revealed like, oh, surprise, and she's totally fine with it. And you're like, okay, she obviously knows this guy and it's her husband. So, yeah, I think that I thought that was kind of well done as a twist.
0: Yeah, that's fun, actually, because he comes in and you think, well, there's quite a lot of the movie to go. So him turning up now seems a bit early and then... When he takes the mask off and it's like, oh, yeah, it's you and it's her husband. It's like, yeah, that's that's a pretty good twist. It's a better twist than the one at the very end of the movie involving the weird son, where you you can kind of see where that's going. But they make him so weird that you think, well, initially you kind of think, are they trying to throw some doubt onto who the murderer is? But because the murderer is in a completely different location, that doesn't work anyway. So. The only thing that you think it might have any bearing on is the very end of the movie where you think, is he going to crack or is something going to happen to him? And yeah, it does. You get this very weak final shock in inverted commas where it's probably going to be Derek who takes on the family mantle of serial killer and he's off to bump a few people off. I mean, it's one of those endings where I guess they were looking to carry on the franchise. I think at the time, everything was looking for a sequel, bar stuff like The Burning. But most horror movies were left with some sort of open ending, just in case they wanted to do a second one. Considering the reception New Year's Evil got, I think there was very little chance of them doing a second one of these. And to be perfectly honest, there's no real... Point of continuing the story, anyway, because it's wrapped up fairly neatly. The very ending seems like it's just been grafted on just for one last shock. Doesn't really work. Gives it an opportunity to have one more body on the pile, but it's one of the weaker points of New Year's Evil. I think if they'd have finished it when the killer gets the showdown with the police on the roof, as soon as that ends, If the credits had rolled then, fine, that would have been a good ending. But they just had to drag it out a tiny little bit more just because they wanted to put something extra in to say, oh, well, you know, could be a second one. I wouldn't have been interested in a second one. It does everything it needs to do in this movie. And it's absolutely fine when it's doing it. I agree that it's very entertaining, even if it's unremarkable. But that's pretty much it. I wouldn't be queuing up for a second helping of New Year's Evil.
1: No, same here. And potentially if they wanted to continue and go down the route with there's a second killer being son, I think that could have worked if they'd elaborated on it a bit more, a bit like they do in the Scream franchise where there's two killers and it's like they could have been working together the entire time. That you know That might have been interesting, but otherwise, no. I think it could have just ended after the killers met his maker and that's it. It's a very average film. It doesn't really make its mark in the subgenre at all, but it's really okay. It's it's harmless. And as I said, it's like if you're looking for a slasher movie that isn't too heavy on the gore, it's ideal for that. Going on to the movie's legacy, there's not a great deal here, but um, I've got a couple of facts that I will just go through before we conclude the episode. It was released on the 19th of December, 1980 in the USA. In 2019, the 35mm print of the movie was played at Quentin Tarantino's New Beverly Cinema in LA. And the movie was released on DVD through MGM's limited edition collection in June 2012. And its Blu-ray release um, came through Scream Factory in 2015. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 14% tomato meter and audience score. And on IMDb, it's got 4.8 out of 10, which I think is pretty much
0: fair. It's fine. It's the sort of movie that you can't imagine that there's a line of people ready to leap to its defence. It's a movie that I would have thought most critics would have taken a look at it and thought, garbage, throw it away. Again, with audiences, at the time, what were they looking for? It doesn't really have that brash attitude of Friday the 13th. It doesn't have the darkness of something like The Burning it kind of gets lost in the morass of all the other slasher movies that were around at the time. It's not the worst. It's far from the best. But you could do worse. I mean, you could do worse with some of Emmett Alston's filmography because he's done some absolute doozies. Specifically, I remember a movie that he did later on towards the end of the 80s called Demon Warp, and it's ostensibly about Bigfoot killing people in the woods. But then it does a left turn towards the end and it's just indescribably bonkers, the final act of Demon War. I'm not saying that it's any good, but it is indescribably bonkers. If it doesn't turn up on this podcast at some point, I shall be extremely surprised because it's the sort of movie that you can't adequately describe it to somebody who hasn't seen it and it's a spoiler to say, oh, this happens people have to experience Demon Warp for themselves. Uh, This is a better movie than Demon Warp because, well, let's not get into Demon Warp until we actually watch it because I feel that I'm going to set up too much. So let's get back to New Year's Evil, which is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think it's terrible, but it's far from being the classic than a lot of early 80s slashers were. And... It's like most Canon productions at the time. They were cheap and cheerful. They were trying to get lots and lots of movies made. And there's nothing wrong with that as a concept. But it does mean that you're not going to get a massive amount of quality when you're turning out this many movies. But that's how Canon worked. Make them for as little money as you could and try and get something back in the box office. And to a certain extent, during the early and sort of maybe mid 80s they did before they overstretched and collapsed completely but this is a classic example of canon fodder that's a terrible pun <laughs> it's the sort of movie that they would definitely churn out by the dozen and nothing wrong with that but you're probably going to have forgotten new year's evil half an hour after you've watched it
1: definitely Um, just a quick one before we go as well I have to talk about the voice changer so when (laughs) when you realise who the killer is and how he is linked to Diane you're thinking how did she not know I mean yes he is using this device it's kind of almost like a pipe that he can just put in his mouth to Mm. alter his voice slightly but it's nothing groundbreaking it's nothing like what Ghostface uses for example Mm. even in the 90s I mean now I'm guessing he's got apps and all sorts but (laughs) <laughs> this this was something quite unremarkable. So it's weird how she didn't even get a hint that it was her own husband's voice. So I'm getting Grease 2 vibes here.
0: Yeah, it's the <laughs> Maxwell Caulfield Cole Rider thing again, but it's in a slash. <laughs> it's in a slashy movie this time. But the voice changer, he has to speak very, very slowly as well. I mean, even so, she would have thought, Well, I do recognise that guy but he does actually speak very, very deliberately where he's going to commit a murder. I mean, I know that the concept of being phoned up and being told that somebody's going to murder somebody, that is quite scary. But when they're doing it in that voice, it kind of undercuts what he's trying to say, because the voice is so ridiculous. You just think, is this guy taking the piss? You know, when people start dying, yeah, that's a serious problem. But if somebody phoned you up with this ridiculous voice and goes, "I'm going to do a murder," you'd think, oh, "Yeah, yeah, sure, mate," and just hang up on him.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's a bit of a silly voice. I don't think it holds up there with the greatest serial killers of slasher movie history. So, yeah, New Year's Evil, a bit of harmless fun to see the year out. The film is actually available to watch in pretty good quality on YouTube. So um, if you did want to check it out, hopefully it won't get taken down. I'd recommend it if you're a horror fan and want something kind of thematic to watch at this time of year. Go for it. I do wish we could chat longer.
0: And that's it for the 50th episode of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening.
1: And if you enjoyed this episode, you can also check out many other episodes that we've recorded. There's 50 of them now. We are on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast.
0: All that remains is for us to wish you a happy new year and to let you know that after a short break, we'll be back in early 2022 with a special treat.
1: This is a very exciting one. Basically, we have got a bumper episode coming your way. It's going to be a trilogy of movies that have nothing to do with each other. One is a documentary. I mean, am I giving enough hints here?
0: I think we ought to spill the beans on what we're going to do first next year.
1: So they're eating her, and then they're going to eat me.
0: Oh my god!
1: (laughs) We're doing the Troll Saga. (laughs)
0: so we're going to do troll and troll 2 and then we're going to be taking a look at the documentary best worst movie to be perfectly honest i cannot wait to get stuck into these movies it's been a while and i haven't seen best worst movie so that should be interesting
1: i'm excited to again for me it's been a while I know Troll 2 pretty well. I've only seen Troll once and I've only seen Best Movie once, so I'm looking forward to uh, indulging in a bit of uh, Troll or is it Goblin stuff in the new year?
0: Until then, have a safe and peaceful new year. We'll see you in 2022.
1: Thank you very much for listening and for all your support throughout 2021. And Happy New Year, everyone.
0: The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.